After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When you look at the three wise men, or the Magi, and we understand also, we're not really sure if it was three, or if there was more than three, or all those things. It doesn't matter. It's just the idea that these wise men, these Magi, came to look for Jesus. And when you look at the gold and the incense and the myrrh, and you see what they mean and what they stand for, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, of those three gifts that is mentioned in the scriptures, which one is most important? The gold, the frankincense, or the myrrh? And can we learn anything from them? As I look back and I think about Christmas and everything that's going to happen uh, on Wednesdays, we get together with family and friends, or gifts are, are exchanged and all those things. And I know we're going to exchange gifts with our families, and I know my daughter has me and our little gift exchange, and uh, I'm excited to see what I have. But you know what's most important about all that? It's not the gifts, but it's the 30 family members that's going to gather together and celebrate Christmas. Because I look back at all the gifts that I've even gotten, and yesterday was no different. I think one of the greatest gifts I got for the year, other than family and all those things, was I got to referee basketball over at the Hoosier gym in Knightstown with a bunch of kids from different schools in Illinois. And it was great. It was fun. I was telling some people, somebody get a kick out of it. I'm refing a varsity game. There's three of us. I'm getting back to my spot in a fast break, and I turn around and run. I turn back around. About that time, that basketball is right here, right off my forehead, you know. And I, Coach handed me the ball goes, you okay? I said, yeah, I haven't played a day of soccer in my life. But, you know, my daughter goes, I hope somebody got that on tape, you know. Yeah, Allison's back going, well, I'd love to see that. It'll be sold for nineteen ninety five out front when you leave. But I also think about family, and I look at everybody here this morning. And the gift that we are to God. Because we all have that to offer. Someone sent an email that made a list of Christmas signs they'd seen in their city. Outside one church said this, the original Christmas club. I like this one. A, story, a toy store declared, ho, 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 was spoken here. A bridal boutique said, Merry Christmas. M-A-R-R-Y, Christmas. A weight loss salon proclaimed 24 shaping days until Christmas. And then an office store said this, 
For the man who has everything, a calendar to remind him when payments are due. And that's probably quite true also. But in Matthew chapter 2 that we're looking at this morning, we find this group of wise men who are traveling great distances to find this new king, this newborn king, and give him these special gifts that they picked out just for him. There's an old song that's called We Three Kings of Orion Are. And it simply says this, We three kings of Orion Are, bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. O star of wonder, O star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us with thy perfect light. The song goes on to tell us the three gifts that these wise men gave. The second verse says, Born a king in Bethlehem, plain, gold I bring to crown him again. He brought gold for this king. The third verse says, Frankincense I offer, have I incense owns a deity nigh, prayer and praising all men raising worship him God most high. And then the fourth, myrrh, he says, is mine. It's bitter perfume, breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. When I read through those verses again, it's like we sing the first parts of those, and it's kind of a nice song, fun song, but when you read down through the other verses, it gives you the whole story of the three gifts that were given. You see, the song points out that each of these gifts that the wise man gave brought a very special message that the gold was made for a king and of his, who was to be given to. And the frankincense was offered to him unto God as unto God. It was a perfume like the Israelites would offer in their sacrifices and all the different things when they offered those things at the temple. And then the myrrh was a perfume that was used as part of this embalming process they used to do. Yes, to hide the stink from the decaying body. So all those gifts were perfect gifts. There's somebody has also said it's the thought that counts when giving those gifts. And you know, these three wise men, I think, had an idea and they thought about it, what they wanted to give this baby Jesus and what it represented. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm one of those people. I don't like buying gifts. I'd rather give a gift card, say, go get what you want. And I've gotten a little bit better and all those kinds of things. But I think these wise men, when we read this story, put a lot of thought into their gifts. But not only to the gifts, but to the journey they were going to make in search for this newborn king. That it wasn't just something they stepped out of their car and walked into a place and there was Jesus. That they were going to be gone for quite a while. They were going to be on this journey to find Jesus. In fact, being the wise men, when they arrived at Jerusalem, get this, these wise men, what did they do? They asked for directions. How many of the men that you guys know will ask directions? You know, luckily we have apps on our phones that kind of tell us where to go. We don't have to listen to our wives all the time, you know, telling us we've taken the wrong turn. But these guys asked for directions. In verse 2 it said this, and when the wise men asked Herod, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him and have come to worship him. So we have this great deal of thought in this. To this new king, they searched the skies looking for the star. They were looking for him. And that's important for us to understand. They weren't only looking for him, but they also made preparations for this long journey they were going to take in order to be able to find this Jesus. 
and the gifts that they brought to this child because they knew and they understood from the prophecies that they heard and learned that he would be a great king. Not just any king, but he would be a great king. Now, I don't know, and I don't know if I understand if the wise men even understood the significance of their gifts that they were giving. I assume they they did. That's why they gave what they gave. But I want you to understand, and what I do know is this, that God was so impressed with their gifts that he recorded them in the Scriptures. Okay? He was impressed by those gifts. We need to understand that. But I also believe that it just wasn't done as a symbolic nature that these guys gave their gifts. But we also have to understand that the value what these gifts meant to God. But hear me. Yes, God was moved and deeply moved by these gifts these wise men gave Jesus. That these gifts that they brought his son. But I also want you to understand that it wasn't the value of these gifts. Because God doesn't need that money. God doesn't need those gifts as far as gold and the value that the gold brought or what the frankincense bought or what the myrrh brought. Because it said God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. You know, so God has what he needs. So that wasn't the point. You see, God constantly warns his people, you know, talking about value, to be kind to each other, to love one another, to protect the widows and the orphans, to defend the cause of those who can't defend themselves. That's who God tells us that we need to be focused on. He warns his people to do those things. In fact, in the story of Christ's birth, it wasn't the wise men, the three magi, that came that was told of the birth of our Savior. Remember who it was? It was the shepherds. It was the poor folks that were on duty watching the sheep that probably they didn't even own with the stinky sheep. That's who God revealed that Jesus was to be born. So you understand, money has no part of this. What it says is, for unto this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is born Christ, who is Christ the Lord. You see, the wise men weren't treated to this angelic choir. This group of shepherds who were so poor that they probably didn't even own the sheep they watched. See, what I want us to understand about the gifts that were given, God doesn't need our money or lack thereof. He's not concerned about the size of the gifts we give. Get this. He is more impressed by the size of our hearts, by what we do here. And that makes all the difference in the world. It doesn't make a difference the size the box comes in or all those different things that are happening. It's what's happening in our hearts. God is impressed with anyone, no matter what their social status, who gives the best that they have to Jesus. To do what we can, when we can. To be able to serve when we are able to serve. To step out in faith. To do maybe something we're not used to doing. Because God asks us to do these things. Somebody said this. says, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I'll give him my heart. And you know what? That's what Jesus asked for. That's the greatest gift we can give our Savior is our heart 100% to him. Now, if God had been impressed with the value of these gifts these wise men had given him, 
He would have spent a great deal of time in the scripture, I believe, telling us how many gold pieces the wise man gave Jesus. And not just how many pieces, but what the true value was in these gold pieces. Or how much the frankincense and myrrh cost these men to buy, to give. But he doesn't. God doesn't tell us all these earthly values of these gifts, but understand, he does tell us why these gifts were so valuable to him. Listen to what it says in verse 11. It says, And when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Catch this. Before any of the gifts were given, before these wise men gave the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, these men fell down on their knees before Jesus, and they worshipped him. That's huge. I mean, I think it brings it out in Scripture because he wants us to see it. And that's the message throughout Scripture. God doesn't care the, the size of the gift or how many gifts. All he cares for and about is how large our love is for him. That's what he wants us to understand. That's what he wants from us. That's why God emphasized that the wise men worshipped before they gave their gifts. That's one of the hardest things for me is when Christmas falls on Sunday. I mean, I love it when it falls on Sunday. But I also have read, and I know in the past, a lot of churches will actually cancel church on Sunday morning when Christmas falls on Sunday. And that drives me nuts. You know, and I know December 25th isn't probably the exact day Jesus was born. I know it's more symbolic than anything. But I also think if we can't come worship on Sunday morning, Christmas morning, when it lands on there, before we open our gifts, because what's the reason? Well, the kids are up early because they have to open their gifts, and we got family coming over at 1 o'clock, so we can't delay lunch. We can't do all these things. And it just drives me nuts when we can't worship on Christmas morning because we're so busy. But God says right here, he was impressed with those gifts because they did first what? They bowed down and worshiped first. And then they gave their gifts. There's a famous hymn that reminds us of that truth. It says this, O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. It even says this, Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. O sing, all ye bright hosts in heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. So grab this. A heart of worship must exist before we can give any gifts to Jesus. We must worship first. We must have the attitude of worship. We must come into the presence of God and understand we can't actually go to Bethlehem all the time, although I'd love to go back. It's a matter of what we're thinking. It's a matter of what's in our heart. But then there is one more gift that I want to talk about this morning. It's a gift that is of higher value than the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think it's even a gift that is even higher than our worship that we give, and even that the wise men gave Jesus. Can you guess what it is before I even go on? Do you even have a thought? I mean, when I read through this, an article from somebody, it jumped out because he brought this out. It's a gift described best in Scripture. And it's a verse you all know. 
It's simply the verse, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. Man, that's the biggest, best, perfect gift. That he gave his only begotten son, whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. The greatest gift that we could ever have. One person described it this way, and I put it in your outline so you could have it, that God is the greatest lover, that he so loved to the greatest degree, the world, the greatest number, that he gave the greatest act, his only begotten son, the greatest gift. That whosoever is the greatest invitation believeth the greatest simplicity, that all we have to do is believe in him, the greatest person, that should not perish the great deliverance, but have, this is the best, the greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. For God so loved the world. You see, the wise men left the security of their homes to find this greatest gift. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know how far they had to travel. They didn't know how long they'd be gone. All they knew that when they arrived at their destination, they were going to find the greatest thing that God could ever give them. Even then, they didn't know what God had done for them. I don't think they even understood what Jesus had been sent to do. They didn't realize that this newborn king would even realize what he had to endure. And they didn't know what this young child would ultimately accomplish. Again, there's this hymn that we sing sometimes in our churches that says, One day when heaven is filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men. My example is he. Remember what it says? Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. And I think back to that day when Jesus was born and all the celebration that took place and everything that happened. But I can think of another time when Jesus comes back and the celebration, that's going to happen. I want to close with this story that back in Massachusetts years ago, a second grader was sent home because he drew a picture in class. The teacher had asked the class to draw a picture that described what they thought of when they thought of Christmas. So this little boy drew a picture of Jesus on the cross. For that indiscretion, this little boy was sent home and actually ordered to go to psychiatric counseling before he could come back into class. And this gives a whole new meaning. Can anything come good out of Massachusetts, you know, type thing? If you're from there, I'm sorry, but that's the saying. Now, understandably, by forcing this little boy out of school, by forcing him into psychiatric help, that upset a lot of people. And, but we shouldn't be surprised. You see, there's a lot of people in the world today who don't mind baby Jesus in the manger. Okay? It's cute. We like him in the manger. We like the setting with the wise men and the animals around. We like all those things. But they like baby Jesus in the manger as long as he stays in the manger. Why? Because babies are harmless, right? What's a baby going to do? But once Jesus gets out of the manger, things get a little more complicated. Once Jesus becomes a man, some folks begin to get a little bit uncomfortable. 
They get a little bit weird because they know Jesus is going to ask things of us. It ends by telling us that we are sinners. It ends by telling us that Jesus came to remove our sins. It ends by telling us that the way Jesus forgave our sins was by taking our place, by dying, being buried, and then rising up from the grave. And it ends by declaring to all mankind, we have a decision to make. That it's our choice that this gift that God gave us that we talked about in John 3, 16, that God gave his one and only son, it's our decision that we're going to accept this gift that he freely gives us. And next thing we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but there's a lot of times we as humans, we as people, have a hard time accepting the idea that God freely gives this gift and we think, there's no way it can be free. It's going to cost me something. But remember what it says. Jesus takes us just as we are. He wants us right now. He wants our hearts. He doesn't care that we make sure we have all these things in order first. He wants us to know that he takes us right here, right now. No questions asked. And he'll take us to where he wants to be. There's another thing about these wise men that caught my eye when I read through this story again. And something that I think we think about, or we don't think about, that when these wise men went to Herod, remember what happened? Herod said, please tell me where this child is so I too can go worship. But it also says in a dream, they were told not to go back. So remember what they did? They went home another way. Remember what happened after that? When King Herod found out that the wise men wasn't going to come back and tell him where Jesus was, Herod was ticked, he was angry. He ordered all the boys to be killed in that area. And, you know, I think, man, we make decisions a lot of times because we're afraid of what might happen. And, you know, I wonder if the wise men, if they knew Herod was going to kill all those baby boys, if they had said, you know, I know we were told not to go back the same way, but we don't want this to happen, so we're going to go back and tell Herod. And it would have changed the whole story. My point is this as I close. I don't know what we think might happen. I don't know if we're afraid that something huge is going to happen if we do or something huge is going to happen if we don't. only thing I can stand here and tell you that if we don't accept this gift that God has given to us and we don't make the choice, we don't make the decision to accept him as our personal Lord and Savior, that if we don't, we don't get to be in his presence one day. And this gift that he gives to us, he wants to give it to us. No strings attached. It's free, but he wants our heart. He wants who we are to live with us, to guide us and direct us. So this morning as we sing this invitation hymn, if you're sitting here this morning, the Sunday before Christmas, and this gift is there being ready to be presented to you, and it is, it's there, and all we have to do is say, I want that gift, and I accept that gift. You see, we believe we confess, we accept, we're baptized, we do all those things, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, our forever changes to something good, something positive.